Our scripture reading this morning comes from Ecclesiastes 1.12 through 2.11. If you want to follow along with me in your booklet, it is on page 12 after the first plus sign. Until the next plus sign, apparently. Um, I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. As soon as I discovered that God had has dealt a tragic existence to the human race, I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for good things in life. But I found myself, ah, sorry, I'm going to switch to this. I, I'm going to start. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for good things in life. But I found this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine, and while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness in this way. I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning in my building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate the, my many flourishing groves. I brought slaves, both men and women, and others who were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile any, anywhere. This is the word of the Lord. Please take your seats. We have an MC spotlight today, or no? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. You should do that. Okay. <laughs> I'll be right back. So yes, to highlight different missional communities that are part of Sola Church, and uh, so Mark and Lindsay lead uh, missional community. So I'll invite them on up, and they'll share with you what the Lord is doing in their MC at this time. Yeah, we'll give a brief update on where we're at. Uh, we've talked about our area's mission quite a bit in our family meetings and, and whatnot, and ours really hasn't changed too much. But um, yeah, Lindsay and I lead the, the Morrison Missional Community, and we continue to serve Bridge of Hope as our primary area of mission. 
Um, they, they've had a really good last 12 months or so. 2019 was great for fundraising, and so they're looking to increase the number of families that they're serving from, say, eight or nine up to about 15, hopefully by the end of this year. And so I guess, just as a reminder, it's, it's an organization that looks to, to single mothers of one or more children who are facing homelessness, and so they're, the primary way they provide support is just to provide rent assistance, and then they provide additional counseling services and support, and every mother is connected to what they call neighboring volunteers. So in our case, it's, a, it's our mission community or a group of volunteers that just comes around them to, to share life's burdens with them. Um, I think outside of that, I think what we've seen in, in our mission community over the last year is really just some contraction. We've had two different families leave over the last 12 or so months um, for different reasons, and um, we talk a lot about you know, our family identity um, as, as the church and as mission community, specifically as Sola, and so um, we take that seriously and, and we, we live into that really well. So when you do have families leave, it can be painful, and so you know, especially over the last couple months with the recent family that's left, just, just talking through as a mission community and with the other elders, just what that means. Um, and I think, you know, what we've taken away from those discussions is just that we feel committed as ever to live as family with one another. Um, we're family with Bob and Glow, Shania and Suzette currently. And so we just look to continue that. And, you know, Sola never really looks to numbers or growth and, and other factors, you know, financial financial measures is, is the measure of our um, success as a church. And so uh, we are finding ways to celebrate God's grace in our lives and to continue to live as family and on mission together. So that's our update. Let's see. Can I just invite um, your missional community to come up here and we'll, we'll pray over you guys. And I just want to affirm um, this group. Uh, we, our missional community had the opportunity to send them out, um, I guess it was a year and a half or two years almost now, uh, and that's so joyful um, uh, to, to us to be able to, to do that. And I just, I just want to affirm even right now that God, uh, God changes our plans so often. Um, so you can, you, know, you can hear, one thing I love about doing these MC highlights is we're not doing this to, uh, to just talk about all of our success and to make everyone, well, that's what a successful missional community would look like. It's like got this linear growth that happens you know, where more and more are added and then they split off and do all these things. You know, um, uh, I, I think that faithfulness is very quiet and ordinary in most cases. And often it doesn't look like what, um, what our world tells us success looks like, getting bigger, uh, being more um, all the time. In fact, uh, sometimes I think that the, the deep, uh, quiet rootedness is actually very different than what what the world would say success looks like. And so I want to encourage all of you while you're standing here right now and just affirm that even though some families have, have gone away um, and moved away, that's in God's timing as well. Um, and the weakness and pain that we experience, God oversees all of that um, and comes alongside us and has entered into our stories. So um, as I pray for you guys right now, I'm going to pray, pray for that. And I just want to encourage everyone else, too. We uh, get to know the stories of the different missional communities that are involved. And that's not to say it's all been awful, either, because there's, uh, I hope it doesn't even sound like that. <laughs> it has, is, is anyone, th I'm, I'm not, like, this is, like, I celebrate this. Like, and I said to, I said to Mark a, a couple of weeks ago, like, um, 
all kinds of numbers is too much to, to manage, you know, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Like, isn't it awesome that we can know people deeply and walk life with them? And, it, and, if, and it's just a few. And that's, that's wonderful. I think that the impact of that um, for God's kingdom is, uh, is so great. So, I mean, Jesus talked about the nature of the kingdom being upside down and inexplicable to us sometimes. And, and I love to be able to see that in real time. Uh, um, so uh, please, please pray for the other missional communities that are part of Sola Church. Each one presses into pain and brokenness in different ways. Um, and everyone does. And I think, uh, I don't know that I've ever seen anyone model family um, better than, than this group of people right here. Uh, ever so each each one uh, you guys actually believe what the Bible says about that we're family with each other and I love that and celebrate that and I think the rest of us can learn um, from that so let me uh, let me pray for you guys God we're so grateful for your love um, for your faithfulness we thank you that um, Jesus when he uh, when he came into the world um, though it had been announced uh, many years before by prophets that the king was coming um, he came in obscurity. He didn't come in flashy ways. He didn't come uh, with uh, pomp and circumstance. Uh, he was, um, Jesus, you, were, you, were, you came to the poorest of the poor, and your first announcement was to um, the, 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 the people that were outcasts. Um, and in so doing, I think you modeled for us the way our, our lives are meant to be, that we aren't to seek after flashiness, that we're not trying to measure our success by the way um, the world tells us success should be measured, but that instead we can quietly and faithfully follow you in the ordinary ways of life. So thank you for modeling that so well for us, Jesus. Thank you that you have pr promised to be with us no matter what through the end. Um, but when you said go and, uh, go and make disciples and teach them to observe whatever you had commanded, that you said you would be with us through all of that. And so thank you for the very evident ways that you have been with um, Mark and Lindsay and Bob and Glow and Shania um, and Suzette and uh, the, the others that have been touched by this missional community by the deep ways in which they love one another and those that are around them. Um, I pray that your spirit would sustain them and encourage them uh, and thank you for the example that they are to the rest of, uh, um, of our church. Um, please uh, please uh, continue to teach us through the ways that you carry our, our lives together with one another in community and on mission and as family. Um, thank you for the glory that we get to see uh, just simply through, um, through letting our lives shine by doing good works to one another. You, Jesus, you, this is what you commanded and you said that the Father is glorified just through simple acts of love to one another and our neighbors. So thank you for that example in them and for the way your glory shows through them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, here, I'll take that. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn in them to Ecclesiastes. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes 1. For those of you that might not know me, my name is Mark. I'm one of the elders here at Sola Church. Let's get set up. We've got um, our booklets. Anybody need a, an Ecclesiastes booklet? Anybody have one? Anybody need one? I'm going to set some here. Um, you need one? Yeah. <clears throat> We're on, uh, if you want to uh, follow along in the book, we're actually on page 12 um, is the passage we're on, and then um, this session is, if you want to take notes, it's later on. I want to say page 30 uh, in the booklet. So we started uh, Ecclesiastes a couple weeks ago. We, uh, 
<laughs> Every week we do our scripture reading and it's just like, um, man, that's really dark and depressing. Um, um, last week it was the uh, kind of the introduction, the framing of the book and um, it concludes with everything is just meaningless. And so today um, he talks about his pursuit for pleasure, his pursuit for meaning. And at the end, again, we end the passage with, I looked everywhere and everything was meaningless. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, and so we're we're gonna we're gonna take we're gonna dig into this again. Um, hopefully, last week you weren't walking away from here um, hopeless. Um, we're gonna talk about hopelessness and meaninglessness, and then hopefully walk away with um, some some hope to grab onto. Um, I, I, I like to talk about, or I'm very influenced by things that I'm reading, things that um, I'm watching, things that I'm listening to, and um, you know, that comes out quite a bit um, when I preach. Um, you know that. I was reading a book uh, called Ball Lightning by a, a Chinese author. Um, I, don't, I honestly don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, it's something Liu. Um, but he wrote The Three-Body Problem, which is a great trilogy. Um, and, and so Ball Lightning is another book of his. And if you're familiar with Ball Lightning, it's like this uh, it's this phenomenon where um, lightning forms itself into a little ball and it, um, it, it kind of hovers. It's just, just this really, really weird um, phenomenon. And in the book, this 14-year-old witnesses ball lightning um, and it actually, it, it kills his parents um, and he witnesses it. Um, and so this sets him on a course uh, to learn everything he can about ball lightning. And that is the purpose to his life now. Um, and, and in the book, it's very clear that like he, he now has a purpose to his life and it is all about learning about ball lightning. Um, and so he, you know, um, he studies meteorology. Um, he goes to college and he gets, you know, his degree in meteorology, an advanced degree. He pursues a doctorate um, just to learn everything he can about ball lightning. That's the entire purpose to his life right? Um, and you can probably guess, this isn't much of a spoiler, um, that it, uh, it ultimately is not satisfying, right? Um, having that kind of purpose, you, you get to the end of your life and, um, and it almost feels like, man, what, what did I spend all that time doing, right? Our big idea for today um, is the world is full of good gifts of God that cannot bear the weight of providing meaning to our lives, the world is full of good gifts of God that cannot bear the weight of providing meaning to our lives. And what we're going to see is um, the, uh, the teacher, the preacher, Kohelet here in Ecclesiastes, he's going to say, I'm, I looked everywhere. And he's going to list out all these different places that he looked for meaning. And he's going to come away and say it's meaningless. So um, before we start, let me ask you, what are, some, what are some arenas of life? What are some avenues um, that we tend, either in our culture, maybe even us personally, that we tend to look to for meaning um, in our own lives, in our own culture? What are, what, are some, what are some of those areas that we look to? Work. Work. Yeah, a lot of times we look to our employment. We're gonna talk about work um, and, and sometimes the lack of it leaves us purposeless sometimes. Um, what else? Professional sports. 
professional sports. Yeah, entertainment, kind of more broadly, like like we we look to entertainment um, or uh, professional sports. We we get really involved in certain fandoms, whether it's sports or you know literature or movies. Like my kids have all kinds of T-shirts from all of their different fandoms, um, and um, and we look to those to provide meaning to our lives, um, and ultimately. Like we're disappointed, especially you know if you're um, like a Bills fan or you know um, Broncos fan lately, right? Um, it's really hard to provide meaning in those arenas um, because there's there's just so much disappointment sometimes. What else? Family. We look to family um, to provide meaning, and and we we hang. Uh, uh, the weight of our means. Sometimes we we live vicariously through our children, um, and and they can't bear the weight of providing meaning to our lives. Right? What else? Yeah, a legacy. Um, uh, if you're if you're familiar with the uh, the musical Hamilton, one of the big things, um, the big themes that uh, comes up often in Hamilton is that he wants to leave a legacy, right? Um, and and talks a lot about what his legacy is going to be. Um, we want to have things that live on beyond us, um, but ultimately, like we don't get to enjoy those. I don't, I don't get to enjoy my legacy. I'm going to die, and eventually people are going to forget about me, right? What else? Where else do we look? Ideal body image. Um, we we put so much meaning and effort, um, and there's so many. Like you could you could do one of a hundred different diets. You could do the the keto diet. You could do whole thirty. You could do paleo. You do all of these different things. Um, I was talking with my uh, kids. Um, there was a song that they wanted to listen to, uh, and it's really interesting. Like our um, because they're my children, um, they have started to like think about what what does this song mean, okay? So um, so we'll be driving along and listening to the radio or something, and one of them will stop and be like, Dad, what do you think this song is talking about? It's like, oh, man, I wasn't paying attention. I have no idea. Um, but it's catchy, and it's got a nice beat to it. Um, but there was a song that, that they were asking, like, can we listen to this? Um, and um, it was called Prom Queen by... Beach Bunny, I think is the band name, um, who's this like super young, but like a very retro sound. Um, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's a great band. Um, and the idea is, I'm not your ideal. I'm not like Barbie. I'm not a prom queen. I just got to work harder. I got to eat less. I got to find the right diet. Um, and 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 you you feel like as you listen to the song, you feel this overwhelming um, sense of like I, I need the right body image in order for people to accept me. Right? I don't have acceptance until I have that prom queen look. Until I have that that Barbie image, um, and and it's like we, we look at our young people, um, and especially in this age of social media and and Instagram and Snapchat, where we're always pressured to put forward the best image of ourselves um, that we're finding more and more people with those bodies. One of my favorite Instagram accounts right now is the Influencers in the Wild. I don't know if you've ever seen that where um, like people who are posing and trying to get just the right pose or, or, or dance or something for TikTok or, or Instagram. Um, and it's just, it's hilarious. Like you'll be at the beach and here's all of these people that are just posing exactly. And like the boyfriend is, you know, down on his knee, like trying to get that shot that at just the right angle. Um, we want to present the 
best version of ourselves. Um, and so then we feel the pressure to conform to a certain body image, right? Well, let's, let's look at the passage and let's see what, um, what Kohelet here is going to teach us. Just by way of review, Ecclesiastes is set up as um, a framed narrative autobiography where there is an author who is framing the words of the teacher, right? So the author and the teacher are different people. The author starts out in chapter one, verse one, um, and it seems like the author goes through verse 11, kind of introducing the words of the teacher. Um, The teacher, we're gonna call him Kohelet. We don't know exactly who it is. It might be Solomon. It might be somebody who's who's adopting a Solomon-like persona, um, but the, the Hebrew there is Kohelet. It's like a nickname. Um, so we're going to call this person Kohelet. So we're, uh, we're now in the section where Kohelet is sharing his own view. And at the end, we're going to get back to the author. The author is going to summarize Ecclesiastes for us in chapter 12 and say, here's all the words that Kohelet shared um, and, and kind of give us a, a summary of that. So verse 12, we actually have the words of Kohelet, um, and it says, I the preacher, or I, um, really the, the translation is, I am Kohelet. I've been king over Israel um, in Jerusalem. And it's interesting that he says, he, he's setting up this Solomonic persona, um, and this is fairly common for like a king or a ruler or something like that um, to write something like a memoir um, and kind of state who they are and state all of their qualifications, all of their, um, all of their power and rule, and set themselves up as somebody who should be listened to. It's almost like they're giving their resume here. So he's setting up this Solomonic persona. Um, He's going to employ this ancient literary device, um, and then he's actually going to subvert it. So he's going to say, like, I am, or I have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And if you think about it, the only person that can really um, be, because remember before he talked about it being um, David's son, the only person who was David's son, who was also king over Israel in Jerusalem was Solomon. Because after Solomon, like Solomon um, counts as David's son, um, but after Solomon, the kingdom splits in Israel. We've got the northern kingdom. We've got the southern kingdom. Nobody else um, besides Solomon is a son of David who also ruled over Israel from Jerusalem. Okay, so, um, so here he's, he's claiming that Solomonic persona. He's claiming his kingship, um, and, and he's going to build himself up here like most kings do and deliver wisdom, um, but he's actually going to then subvert it and say, but none of it matters. Like, here's, here's all of my wisdom. Here's everything that I've learned, um, and, and it's all meaningless, okay? So he's going to set up this literary device, and then he's going to subvert it. So verse 13, um, he says, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that's done under heaven. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. So he's, he's testing out all of these different avenues of meaning under heaven. Uh, remember we talked about under the sun. It's, it's all of the earthly, worldly avenues of meaning. Like we listed a bunch of them here and Kohelet is gonna go one by one through a bunch of different ones that we're gonna look at. He says, it's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Um, he says, this, this task that he has of searching for meaning, he's, it's, it's almost like he's blaming God for this, okay? Um, so when, when he comes, like if you look at his view of God, um, 
it feels like he's a little bit angry with God, right here at the beginning especially. Like God has given us this unhappy business. The word there properly translated is really this evil business, this bad task. Um, this We talked last week about Sisyphus, this Sisyphean task of trying to find meaning in the world. And he, he's blaming God that he has this task to, uh, um, to have to do this. Um, in the NLT, in your, in your immersed version here in the booklets, I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. And that gets at it really well. God has given us this task that is burdensome and Sisyphean and evil. Um, so he goes on, verse 14, his observations lead him to say that everything is meaningless. Remember the word there is hevel, it's breath, it's smoke. Um, I've seen everything done under the sun. Behold, all of it is meaningless, vanity. It's like you're chasing after the wind and trying to catch the wind in your hands. Verse 15, then we get um, like a, a proverb or a poem. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. Or in the NLT, what is wrong can't be made right. What is missing can't be recovered. Tremper Longman says this, um, in summary, the thrust of this verse is that there is something fundamentally wrong with life on earth. And since the world as it is has come about as a result of God's will, there's absolutely nothing that humans can do about it. There's just something wrong with this world. It's bent. It's broken. What's wrong can't be made right. What's missing can't be recovered. It's broken and there's nothing you can do about it. Again, this is, this is a dark book. Verse 16. I said in my heart, he's going to talk to himself here. I, 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 I told myself, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. My heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. He says, I've, I've amassed the most wisdom and the most power and the most fortune. Um, this is that, that same literary device where as a king, as a ruler, he's setting himself up as the, the supreme. I am the greatest, okay? Um, you see this in, like you, you see this with, um, with boxing, right? You've got these guys or MMA, you got these guys that get up and um, you remember Muhammad Ali, like I am the greatest. Um, you watch them uh, do their press conference and it's all just, just hype. I'm the best. I'm the champion. I'm, you know, I'm at the top. We see this in, uh, I've been listening to um, uh, Dissect, a podcast that like, um, it, it dissects uh, albums. And right now they're dissecting Kendrick Lamar's uh last album. Um, and they're talking about this genre of rap called braggadocio rap. Okay. Um, or in, in, in hip hop terms, it's, it's fronting where, where you are, you are trying to convey that you are the best. You are the best rapper. You have the most money. You know, you've got stacks on stacks on stacks. Um, you have all the women, you have all the jewelry, like all of this stuff. Like here's, here's all my cars. And, um, and there's so many exi- Cardi B sings about, you know, like I, I don't, I don't have to pick, like I go shopping. I don't have to choose. I can, I can pick everything I want. Cause I've got, I've got all the money. Who do you think you are? Like, I don't even, if I see you on the street, like, I don't, I don't mess with you. Like, I don't even, I don't even, 
talk to you on the street. You're a worker. I'm the boss. Okay. Um, so there's this, this idea of braggadocia, like I am lifting myself up as the supreme. And this is actually an ancient literary device where the kings and rulers would say, here are all my credentials and why you should listen to me. I am the greatest ruler. I am, I have amassed the most wisdom. I have amassed the most power and fame and fortune. And so here, Kohelet is doing this. I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. My heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. Nobody else can touch me here. So what does he do with that? Verse 17, I applied my heart to know wisdom um, and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is also but a striving after wind. So I, I, I took all of this that I had, this power and might and wisdom and knowledge, and I applied it to know wisdom. And I applied it to also know madness and folly. Like I looked everywhere for meaning. And what, what happens? It's like chasing after wind, trying to grab the wind. Verse 18, for in much wisdom is much vexation. He who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The more you know about the world, like the more meaningless you, you feel in it, right? Um, our, our way of saying this would be ignorance is bliss, I would, I would have been better off knowing how broken, uh, not knowing how broken the world is. Um, because the more I understood it, the more I realized that, you know, what is, um, what is wrong can't be made right. What is missing can't be recovered. I wish that I just didn't even know that in the first place. Okay? Ignorance is bliss. We get to chapter two. I said in my heart, come now, I'll test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Uh, he's, he's going to expand on his previous statement. He's going to go ahead and invert in chapter two. Um, in the next few verses, he's going to list all of the ways that he searched for pleasure. Some of them we listed here. So, so what are some of the avenues that he's going to look at? Okay. So here's, here's the avenues of meaning that Kohelet is chasing after in chapter two. Come now, I'll test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself, but behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, so the first thing he looks at is, is laughter, just comedy, like just, you know, enjoying yourself. And what, what, what does he say? It's mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? He tries laughter um, and, and comes away empty. Um, laughter is a, a good gift of God. Comedy is a good gift of God. And sometimes it's super helpful. Like when we train, um, foster parents, we talk about like, sometimes you're in the middle of a really difficult, dark situation, and it's helpful to step away for a little bit, um, and, and be able to, you know, to focus on something else right? And so for us, it was like at night, you know, when we had, you know, three boys in our house and we're exhausted um, and, and it's, just, it's just difficult. Um, you know, at night we'd go to bed and watch an episode of The Office before we fell asleep, right? Um, and, and it's just that momentary reprieve from, from the darkness that we're surrounded with. Uh, but so often we lean too far into that, right? Um, we lean too far into escaping our situation that we never actually um, deal with our situation, right? Um, comedy becomes too much of an escape and it can't bear the weight of providing meaning. And eventually, like, you, man, you, you, you don't want to turn it off because then you, you're going to have to face the darkness of the world. And so now we have binge culture. Like on Netflix, you can watch show after show after show. Um, and eventually it's going to ask you, like, are you still watching? Are you sure? Um, did you fall asleep or something? Something, you got to click the button to say, no, I'm still watching. Keep going. Don't, don't leave me alone to my thoughts, right? <laughs> Laughter. 
and 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 he comes away saying it's just it's madness. Um, uh, it's uh, Proverbs talks about this. Even in laughter, the heart may ache. The end of joy may be grief. Like you walk away from that, and and you're still right where you were. Right. So laughter. Um, he says it's it's mad. What use is it? Verse three. I search my heart how to cheer my body with wine. Okay. So he leans into alcohol. Um, and and we can we can put here kind of any of the um, you know like alcohol and drugs any any kind of mind altering stuff that allows you to numb yourself to the brokenness of the world. Our culture will tell you um, that alcohol can provide meaning to you, right? Um, I think of uh, Katy Perry's song last Friday night, um, where she just goes on and on about how how crazy last Friday night, like we maxed out our credit cards. We destroyed the, the hotel. Um, I, I'm, I woke up next to a stranger. Um, like I, I, I don't know what happened. Um, um, and, and rather than bemoaning it, um, she glamorizes it. And the song ends with, we're going to do this again next Friday night. Okay. So there's this idea that, Hey, this is what you should pursue. This kind of culture, go out, have fun, um, get plastered and, you know, and you'll deal with it the next day, but we're going to just keep doing it again and again. Um, there's plenty of other artists that come along on the other side of that um, and share with their music, their experience. Like AJR talks uh, in the song, Sober Up. Um, they want to return to a place of innocence where they don't have to get drunk to numb the pain of life. Um, and the chorus goes, won't you help me sober up? Growing up, it made me numb and I want to feel something again. Won't you help me sober up all the big kids they got drunk and I want to feel something again. Won't you help me feel something again? Can I finally feel something again? And it's all about returning to a place of innocence um, where they, they were before they encountered the problems of life. And, and in interviews, they talk about you know, like when they were in college, digging into that culture and how destructive it was and how they just desired to go back to an innocent time before that. Third Eye Blind uh, in Semi-Charmed Life talks about drug culture and how they continually have to, they, you know, bump again and then I bumped again and, um, and I try to stay high and, um, and I just want to go, I just want to get back to, you know, a different place. Um, and, the, and the chorus is, I want something else to get me through this Semi-Charmed Life right? Um, like these, these drugs, I keep having to go back to them because when, I, when, I'm, when I'm not high, I'm confronted with the pain of the world and I can't get through it, but I want something else to get me through this. It, it, it didn't do it. It cannot fill that space of meaning. Jeremy Zucker has the songs, all the, all the kids are depressed. Um, and it, it, it basically goes, all the kids are depressed. Nothing ever makes sense. I'm not feeling all right. Staying up till sunrise, hoping stuff is okay. Pretending we know things. I don't know what happened. My natural reaction is that we're scared. And so I guess we're scared. Um, and it, it talks about, I think too much. We drink too much. Um, and in an interview, he said this, it's like, everybody's so all in their heads all the time. I feel like there's a certain kind of person that's just in their head, overthinking every single thing to get on with their day. And then that night we go out, we drink to get out of our heads, you know, and it works for that night. And it's fun and like fall in love, like it's just nothing, like going out and meeting people and falling in love with new faces, even if it's just for a night to fix a problem because it's just in the moment. 
And then you wake up the next day and you feel like trash and you start all over again. It's like you're not getting to the root of the problem, right? We chase after meaning in these different areas like alcohol. You go after it. Um, You're looking to numb yourself from the pain of the world. And in the moment, it feels like it works. And then like Jeremy Zucker says, you wake up, you feel like trash, and you're not getting to the root of the problem. Alcohol cannot, like if if you've been with us for a while, you know what our elders view of alcohol is probably. Um, Like it is a good gift of God to be used in moderation. Um, and, And so often we take it and we make something of it that it was never meant to be, right? Um, it cannot hold the weight of meaning. Um, then he goes on art. He says, uh, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for, for myself. He, all of these, like these human accomplishments. And it's, it's pretty cool to see like the grandeur of human creativity. Um, see what humans are able to create from, you know, paintings to sculptures to like all the wonders of the world, um, to bridges. Like, like if you've ever driven across like the Golden Gate Bridge or something like that, it is amazing. And he said, I, I stopped and I looked at all of these incredible things that I had built. Was there meaning in them? It's not that they're worthless. Like, I, like hopefully you enjoy um, going to the art museum and seeing these incredible works. And my wife and I went to the, uh, I think it was the, the Chanel exhibit, um, and seeing the creativity in clothing. That is amazing. But so many people will put their, their pursuit of meaning into fashion, right? And where, where do they end up? Does it actually bear the weight of their meaning? I can't. Verses five and six says, I made gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. He goes to nature and he looks to nature for meaning. Like all of these, and, and you know, we're in Colorado. We kind of, we connect with this, right? Like we, we can just look out the window, not today because it's snowy, um, but normally we just look west and we've got these incredible mountains. And, you know, we, we love our John Muir quotes about, you know, the mountains have called and I must go, right? Um, and, and there's validity, like I love getting up to the mountains. There is something spiritual about it, okay? Um, but so often we will place our pursuit of meaning into nature. And we have plenty of stories about that, of people who want to conquer nature and they end up you know, dead on the side of Mount Everest um, or into the wild. Our kids read that story of you know, going out and just being one with the wilderness and, um, and it ends in, in tragedy, right? Nature, um, well, it is a good gift of God and it can be a spiritual experience where God reveals himself to us. Um, It can't bear the weight of our pursuit for meaning. He goes on, verses seven and eight. Money and possession. So he says, um, I bought, uh, uh, where'd it go? I bought male and female slaves, had slaves who were born in my house. I had great possessions of herd and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. Um, and, and here's, I have more possessions than anybody who's ever been before me. Um, and we see like the American dream, um, 
calls us to push into that, into that pursuit for more money and more possessions. And now um, like we, we look at what it actually costs to live in America. Uh, like in Colorado, they say in order for you to like buy a house and raise a family, um, you need uh, just over a six-figure income. Like you, you need $105,000 a year um, on average to be able to afford to, you know, to meet your goals and to live like within these certain parameters. And, and it keeps going up and up and up because we, we just can't be satisfied. And we find ourselves now in, in deep, deep debt because we're pursuing things that, um, that we're, we're, not, we're not meant to have. We look to money and possessions. The American dream pushes us to consume more and more and more, um, but that can't bear the weight of meaning. He goes on in verse eight. Um, I got singers, both men and women. Music can offer us like a diversion from the meaninglessness of life. Music itself can sometimes be um, a spiritual experience, um, not just Christian music either. I remember going to concerts, and me and Rob have talked about this before, like going into some of those small spaces. We went to uh, the Larimer Lounge and we saw this band that we liked called Young Rising Suns. Um, and they're not a Christian band by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but the themes, like, like what they were aching for, um, were, were very kingdom-like, okay? They were, um, they were aching for community. They were aching um, to get rid of the brokenness of the world. And there was something like a spiritual experience to be in this small crowd, close up to this loud band, um, where you're singing along to songs that you enjoy, right? There's something powerful in that, but so often music be, ends up becoming a, uh, a distraction from the meaninglessness of life. It allows us to actually avoid the meaninglessness of life. Um, 21 Pilots talk about this in car radio where he talks about his car radio being stolen and now I have to sit in silence. And sometimes he says, qu sometimes quiet is violent. Um, and, and he he doesn't know how to deal with all of these thoughts that he has now that he can't listen to music. Um, and he's actually tempted to just like, I, I could just turn the steering wheel, right? And ultimately he's like, I just need to get another car radio. I need to continually distract myself from the problems and the brokenness of the world. Music offers us that. Um, but it can't, it can't fill that pursuit of meaning. He goes on. In verse eight, I got singers, both men and women, and many, many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So he's going to pursue sex. Um, our culture tells you that um, this is something to be worshiped, not just something to engage in. Like you, you should engage in this casually. And the only thing that's important in sex is consent. Our culture also tells us it should be worshiped. Uh, the band Hosier has the song, Take Me to Church. Um, where, where they've rejected all the rules and regulations of religion. Um, and they said, instead, we are going to worship this physical experience in the bedroom. There's no sweeter innocence than our gentle sin. In the madness of soil of that sad earthy scene, only then am, am I human, only then I am clean. And then he has this whole riff um, where he says, amen, amen, amen. And it's a, he, he is ripping off the language of the church in order to worship sex. 
So we are, we are supposed to believe that it's, all, it's, it's at the same time this, this casual thing um, in hookup culture that is meaningless, but also that it's supposed to be worshipped and it's the only place that we're truly human. Those two things cannot both be true. Do you see that? And so when we lean into that for, in our pursuit for meaning, we end up coming up empty. He goes on in verse 9. I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. He's looking for affirmation. Um, and in our culture, affirmation is something we desire so much, right? Um, we talked about social media. We have this desire to present the best version of ourselves and get the most likes and the most followers and the most friends um, and the most views. And we want that affirmation. Like there's something about like you post something on Facebook or Instagram and then you go back and you see, okay, who all liked this post? right? Who all responded to it? Um, how, how much traction did it get, right? Um, and, and we lean into that desire for affirmation, and ultimately it, you know, things go viral, and then you forget about them. Like, we, we could list off things that went viral last year, and it would be like, haha, that, that seems so long ago, right? Um, our culture wants that affirmation. Our, 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 um, our personalities, like the way we've been formed now by social media, we lean into that and ultimately it's just fleeting. It's like smoke. You're trying to grasp at it and you never quite get it. And then last in verse 11, um, he talks about, um, I considered all that my hands had done, the toil I had expended in doing it and behold, all was vanity, a striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained after the sun. Um, he leaned into work and somebody mentioned work earlier. We tend to be defined by our work. Um, if you get into casual conversation with somebody that you've never met, one of the first questions you tend to ask is, what do you do? And we usually phrase it that way right? And what we mean when we say, what do you do is like, what work do you do? Like what employment do you have? But we are so conditioned to phrase it in such a way that you are defined by that. I am a, an IT consultant. I am a teacher. I am this or that, right? Um, as opposed to this is my employment. This is part of what I do. Um, and, and we try to find our meaning in our work, um, and, and then we lose our jobs. We, um, we don't get the performance review that we want. We don't get the raise that we want. Our work can't quite fulfill us. All of these things, verse 10, he says, um, he, uh, whatever my eyes desired, I didn't keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. This, this is not to say that there's not enjoyment to be had. This is not to say that these things aren't going to bring pleasure, right? He's saying, I, I didn't keep anything from myself, um, and my heart found pleasure in all of this, but my ultimate reward for it was nothing. It was meaningless. He withheld nothing. He gave into everything he wanted, um, and he came away empty. So what does this passage mean? Back to our big idea, the world is full of good gifts of God that cannot bear the weight of providing meaning to our lives. All of these things provided pleasure for Kohelet. All of these things were enjoyable. And all of these things were good gifts of God that were given to us to draw us into relationship with him. But none of them could bear the weight of the pursuit of meaning. 
So why do we struggle with this? Obviously, I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis here, right? Um, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We look for our meaning and our joy and our pleasure um, and all of these things, and we find it a little bit sometimes temporarily. And he's saying infinite joy is being offered to you. Why are you fooling around with all of these different pleasures? I got to watch um, an interview uh, just... this year has been a crazy year in Christianity. Um, Kanye West is leading church services. Um, Justin Bieber just did an interview for Apple Music um, with Zane Lowe, who's a, a DJ. Um, and the interview eventually got to Justin Bieber's faith experience. Um, and Justin is talking about um, how he had this belief that Jesus died and rose again, but he never actually connected it to his life. Okay, like he had this belief, but he still pursued after fame and fortune and sex and all of these pleasures he was chasing after. And he said he came to understand, like he came to actually see who Jesus was. And it was people, he said, um, he had bad examples of Jesus. Um, And eventually he was given good examples of Jesus where he started to understand who Jesus really was. And he said, I I came to realize um, that faith means rejecting sin okay? Um, That these guardrails were actually there for my good. Um, And so now he leans into who Jesus is. And when he talks about, like Zane Lowe asked him, you know, do you think you were on a path to self-destruction if you had continued going down that road? And Bieber says, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I was was going to destroy myself. And if if you're familiar with his career at all, that's obvious, right? Um, and then and then, and in 2017, as he's finishing his tour, he is just physically, emotionally, spiritually spent. And he has an encounter with Jesus. And what he says was, um, Jesus wasn't this religious elite guy, but he was in the dirt and he found me in my dirt and he pulled me out. Okay? So here is somebody who goes at, who is offered riches and fame and pleasure and sex at the youngest age where he's not ready to deal with and it is destructive to him. And he understands, I am going to be destroyed. And what is his response? Jesus came in there and he pulled me out, right? How is Jesus the hero here? Jesus tells us a story about uh, uh, someone who goes after pleasure, someone who lives with his father and is not satisfied being in his father's house. And he goes to his father and he says, give me my share of the inheritance. I don't want to be a part of this family anymore. And what does he do with that? He goes and he chases after pleasure and and sex and food and feasting and all of these different things. And where does he end up? He ends up in the pigsty eating the pig food all alone. And in all of his search for pleasure and meaning, he has come up completely empty. And what's the point of the story? The point of the story is the father is there waiting welcoming, watching. And he, he gathers him in with open arms. And I love how Bieber puts this, like Jesus found me in my dirt and he pulled me out. We're going to sing about this later on. In tenderness, he sought me. 
weary and sick with sin. On his shoulders, he brought me back to his fold again. While angels in his presence sang until the courts of heaven rang, oh, the love that sought me, oh, the blood that bought me, oh, the grace that brought me to the fold of God. We have been on this pursuit for meaning and we continually go and we look for all of these other things to to find our meaning and our purpose and Jesus comes along and what does he do? In tenderness, he seeks us out and he draws us back. He draws us back to this father who is waiting there with open arms to say, I'm just so glad you're back. There is no shame there. There is, if you listen to the story of the prodigal son, the father's not like, I told you. I told you this was going to happen. Don't you feel bad now? You should have listened to me in the first place. The father is, I'm so glad you're back. Here's my ring. Here's the calf. Let's celebrate. Jesus finds us in our pursuit for meaning and he brings us back. He prays for us. He tells the disciples, I've said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation in the world under the sun. You're going to have meaninglessness and vanity and tribulation and trouble. And what does he say to that? Take heart. I have overcome the world. He's there pursuing us and bringing us back. So every week we get to take food. We get to take good gifts of God. Um, This physical item, this earthly under the sun item, right? Bread and wine or juice. And we get to take it and we get to eat it. I hope that when you do that, like we used to have to take the piece, we had the one piece of bread and you took the little pieces. Um, and, and, you know, some people take like a really small piece and I would always go back and like take the biggest piece I could. Um, and, and I dip it in the juice because I, I don't like the taste of the wine. All right. I, I don't know how I, I, I'm tempted to take like a, a quick survey and see how many people do juice, how many people do wine. Um, but I, I love just the taste of it in my mouth because the, the sweetness reminds me that God has given me these good gifts to draw me back to himself. Right. It's not just a ritual. It's not just, you know, a remembrance. It is like, like, I hope it tastes good to you. And it's a reminder that God is there to provide the meaning that is lacking. God is there waiting with open arms. Jesus, in tenderness, he's seeking you out and he's drawing you back into the fold, right? So as you take the bread, dip it in the cup um, and eat it and enjoy it, be reminded that Jesus came down to earth. He came down under the sun and he's drawing us back to himself. Let's pray and we'll take communion. Father, we thank you so much um, for being a good father who is waiting for us um, with open arms. Um, as we go out and we look for meaning everywhere and, and God, we give ourselves over um, to sinful pleasures because we think that we will find meaning in them. Um, that Jesus comes along and he seeks us out. He comes into the dirt with us and he, um, he drags us out of the dirt. He drags us back to the Father who is there with open arms waiting to love us. God, I pray that you would remove the guilt and shame that we carry from all of these other pursuits. Help us to remind it that we are well-loved children, adopted and loved. 
God, I pray as we take the bread, dip it in the cup, that we would enjoy it and be reminded that, um, that you are providing meaning to us, that you have given us these good gifts to draw us into relationship with you, and there we can be satisfied. We thank you for what you're doing among us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.